Well, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, if you could earn your way to heaven by coming to church today, you'd be one step closer. But you can't, so you just got to listen to me. And I hope today's a blessing to you because we're kicking off a brand new series. Honestly, uh, we plan a sermon series here about 12 months in advance. And personally, I think this is the most important series you're going to hear all year. So thanks for being here. So today, obviously, I'm going to talk to you about forgiveness. And that's why Pastor Jim emailed me. If you don't recognize the name, Pastor Jim is the guy on our staff who's kind of famous for being full of wisdom and empathy and compassion. Um, The way I'm wired and God gifted me is that I first think with my brain, intellectually, analytically, and it's not that Pastor Jim doesn't think with his brain, he just first starts to think with his heart. And so when I knew we were starting this series on forgiveness, the first thing I did with my brain was to jump online, open up a Bible search engine, and figure out exactly how many times the word forgive, forgives, forgave, forgiven, and forgiveness is used in the Bible. 128 times, by the way, if you're taking notes. (laughs) But Pastor Jim's first instinct wasn't to open up a Bible search engine and think about passages His instinct was to first think about people. And he emailed me and he said, Mike, please, please, please don't forget that as soon as you bring up forgiveness, as soon as you open your Bible and talk about that topic, what real people will think about are the hardest things they've ever been through. The most broken relationships the deepest wounds. Forgiveness doesn't trigger memories of, you know, some classmate from the second grade who didn't hurt us that badly. Instead, it instantly makes us think about the hardest things that we've been through in our lives. He encouraged me to remember that when we talk about forgiveness, it's like knocking on a door and inside are hiding some of the, the most hurtful things that we sometimes like to keep in the dark. And that's why I brought this. It's rock. I was thinking of forgiveness is what God calls us to do when someone has thrown a stone at us and it hit and it hurts. It's like when you used to just be neighbors and you'd, you'd wave from the mailbox. But then your neighbor decided to take down that friendly hand and use it to pick up a stone and to say something or, or do something that really hurt. Or maybe you were just coworkers or a a boss and an employee used to shake hands in a cordial relationship. But then that person let go of your hand in love and they used that free hand to pick up a stone and it hurts. Or maybe you think about the, the person you held hands with at the altar and you vowed and, and they vowed for better or worse, sickness or in health, we're going to love like Jesus loves. We're going to, respect and serve like the the church respects and serve. But sometimes even in a marriage, people let go of their spouse. And from that close, when they pick up a stone, it really hurts. Sometimes Christian people say that a sin is a sin. Have you heard that before? But with forgiveness, every sin is not the same. Some sins are sizable and they hurt when they hit. Some are technically sins, but they're so small, they're annoying in the moment, 
but you move on quickly. And then some sins are so weighty and important. When they hit us, they break us and they crush us and they change us. And because you and I live in a sinful world, it doesn't matter what school you attend, Christian or not. It doesn't matter what family you were born into, Christian or not. It doesn't matter where you work, what street you live on, what church you attend. Because people are sinful, this is going to happen. Sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways, and sometimes in tragic ways. Which means that you and I are going to have to have some way to deal with sin. For some of us, the topic of sin and forgiveness comes up when we think about our parents. Maybe you had one of those dads who worked a little bit too much or a lot bit too much. Uh, If you would have picked up the phone and called him at his job, he would have been annoyed. Like, "What, what, what are you doing? I'm at work right now. But if his boss would have called your home number when it was home time, he might not have treated the boss the same way. And you quickly found out who mattered most in his heart and in his world. Maybe your mother was one of those controlling types. She was never wrong. You can't remember a single time she apologized. It was her way or the highway and it was exhausting. Maybe you had those critical parents that, you know, no matter how hard you tried or worked in school, it was never quite enough. They always found the B plus on an otherwise Foral report card. Uh, You're never fast enough. You're never smart enough. You were never good enough. And that left a a deep wound in your heart. Maybe some things that happened in your home. Statistically, like one in, in five women in America are almost impossible to talk about. You might have had a dad who chose a six pack over his son night after night after night. You might have had a father who hooked up with your mother and then took off and life was really hard as your mom tried to make ends meet. You might have had parents whose marriage was so dysfunctional that they never really modeled for you what a healthy relationship looked like. They knew how to argue or or storm off or avoid difficult conversations or sweep them under under the rug, but they never taught you what it looked like to humbly and respectfully talk something through when you didn't see eye to eye. In tragic, traumatic ways, in small ways, in a whole bunch of ways in between, we need forgiveness in our families. Or think about school. You know, when you're in second grade, those little small stones hit you a lot. You're not a good friend. I don't want to be your friend anymore. But when you're small, even small stones comparatively seem big. And then worse things happen. You go to a new school, maybe even a Christian school, and you're the new kid, but the Christian kids don't open up their arms in hospitality and love. You have a teacher who has ridiculous standards and it's not enjoyable and it's not Christ-like. It's not godly. You meet a group of girls and you think you can trust them and so at the sleepover, you open up And it turns out to be a huge mistake. And some of us older Christians don't know what it's like to grow up when you're a teenager where everything can be shared with a little click. 
Some of you have been hurt by chaps, Snapchat stories so badly you didn't even want to go back to school on Monday. And some of you met that boy who said all the sweetest things, not because he loved you, that's what he said, because he lusted for you. And he took something that he can't give back. For some of us, though, the biggest stones happen in a relationship. You know, it's so idyllic there when you stand before God and your family, your friends, you look beautiful, he looks amazing, you join hands and you say, for better, for worse, I'm going to love. And when someone lets go of your hands and picks up the stone of selfishness, oh, that's the worst. When a wife just wants to talk things out and a, and a guy picks up the remote or goes out to the garage or gives her the silent treatment and she, she doesn't know how to fix it, is the worst. When a guy is married and suddenly his wife thinks that he's just going to be fine without her attention and effort, that she can just pour out everything into the, the kids and her job and he's just going to be okay because he's a grown man. But that's not how men work. You can't pull up the roots of selfless effort of speaking his love language and have the fruit of affection in a man who wants to stay. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, things are said and they pour over the lips, but they come out of the heart. And that really hurts. In a thousand different ways, sin happens in our lives. It can happen with the tone of someone's voice. It can happen from misreading a text. It can be the thing that she says or the thing she doesn't say. It can be that little thing that he keeps on doing or the one big thing that he never does. Sin can happen from total strangers, from your closest family. It can happen from coworkers, Christians, pastors who don't love and practice what they preach. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but you will be sinned against. And like a stone, when that sin hits, it's really going to hurt. Which is why I'm happy that you're here. Being sinned against is a requirement of life in a broken world. Which means that you're going to have to have the spiritual skills to know how to deal with it. And so for the next four weeks, that's what I'm going to teach you about. Those 120 Bible passages I found, I'm not going to preach through every one, but a whole bunch. And we're going to talk about what forgiveness actually is in the Bible and what it isn't. We're going to talk about how to forgive someone that hurts you badly. Maybe someone that hasn't apologized. They don't even seem that sorry. We're going to talk about forgiveness and boundaries and trust. Do you just act like it's okay? Or that nothing happened? Do you have to go back to your ex? Do you just you know, treat someone like they're sinless? How does that work? We're going to talk about forgiving yourself. What that means from God's perspective. And more than anything, week after week after week after week, we're going to talk a whole lot about what that cross means. That at the cross of Jesus is a forgiveness so great, it is insanely offensive to the way that human people think. And I want to make you two promises from this series. The first promise is that it will be very, very helpful. I guarantee it. For you, for them, for your soul, it will be very helpful and you don't want to miss it. Secondly, I can guarantee you 
that I will offend you. Not because I'm making stuff up, but because I'm just reading what Jesus said. And when you read what Jesus said about how we should treat people that hurt us, it will offend you and your friends and those that love you. They will think you're crazy, insane. They will probably be less offended if you chose other certain words in the English language than if you just simply repeated the things that Jesus said. And most of all, you're going to be crazily offended by what God thinks of you. It's not going to seem right. Your heart's going to want to beat itself up to drag that sin around and what the gospel says to sinful people, it's offensive, it's foolishness. But God loves it and he wants you to have it. So that's the ground we're going to cover in this series. And today, here's where I want to start. When this sin hits you, and it falls there at your feet, there are four things you can do. Today, as you're taking notes in your program, I want to talk to you about the four paths that can happen post-sin. And I especially want to teach you about the one path that your Father in Heaven wants you to follow. So, grab your pen. Here's the first path that you could take after someone sins against you. It's called forget. You've heard that before, right? You just got to forgive and forget. Good Christian people, they don't remember stuff. We do our best to forgive and forget. Now, let me ask you, you haven't read all 128 forgiveness passages. Is that what the Bible says? The answer is almost. Let me show you one of my favorite passages in the entire Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. This is what God declares. I will forgive their wickedness. That's your wickedness. And God declares, I will remember their sins no more. And we say amen to that, don't we? God is so good to us. It's not just that he carries around our sin, but says, fine, I won't send you to hell. The way he treats us is that he forget. I love the, the words, not just, you know, little stumbles or slips. No, I forgive wickedness. And if that wasn't good enough, I will remember your sins no more. The way that God treats us is like, he's not even thinking about it. Like he doesn't even remember it. Now for you PhD Bible people, um, in the scriptures, when it says God doesn't remember something or he remembers something, technically it means he acts upon it or he doesn't. Uh, so in the book of Genesis, then God remembered Noah. It wasn't like, oh, oh, totally forgot about that Noah guy. No, God was about to jump into action. He remembered him. So when it says he remembers our sins no more, technically it means he's not going to jump into action and punish you for the things that you've done. But the wording itself is so striking, isn't it? it it's like he's not even thinking about your past. So as you try to imitate God, should you do the same thing? Should you equate forgiveness with forgetfulness? And the answer to that is not exactly. In fact, do you know a preacher who would love for you to think that you have to forget in order to forgive? The devil. 
in your mind, to obey the biblical command to forgive, if that means you can't even remember what happened to you, guess what you will always feel guilty about? Being unforgiving. And how would it even be possible? I mean, if I threw this stone at you and time would heal the wound, this stone would still leave a scar. How could you see it in the mirror every day and just not remember where it came from? If this sin thumped you and it fell at your feet, how could you look at it and say, huh, I wonder where that's from? No, no, this is why the Bible never says you have to forget in order to forgive. In fact, I would contend that the Bible says some things that you should not forget some people who sin against you. Uh, the book of Proverbs warns us about foolish, destructive, dangerous people, but how, how would you know who those people are if you immediately forgot all the bad things they did? 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good character. But how would you ever know who's bad company if you just forgot all the bad things that they ever did? And so the Bible would say, yes, forgive, but you don't have to forget. Don't be bitter, don't be vengeful, don't keep a little grudge record of people's wrongs. But if you still remember, if it still hurts, if you're still hurting because of their sin, that's not what God is asking. You don't have to forget. So, if, if that's not God's path, what about path number two? You could try, after someone sins against you, to get them back. This is what karma is. Good old-fashioned payback. Vengeance. It's the end of every action movie, right? Bad guy did something bad, and now the good guy is going to get him back. Um, you and I don't need a YouTube tutorial on how to practice vengeance. Uh, when you were three years old and your little brother took your toy and sinned against you, do you know what you did? You took the toy back and you thumped him on the head with it. <laughs> And your mom said, why did you do that? And you said, because he started it, right? Payback, vengeance, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's just what happens. And so someone calls you a name, you call them a name back. You're in the comments section and someone escalates the tension. They insult you, you insult them right back. You're trying to discuss something in marriage and she raises her voice. I, I can do that too. You're playing sports and someone takes a cheap shot, guess what's coming next half? You want to bring up the past? You want to criticize my parenting? How I am as a spouse? Well, I just so happen to have this list in my pocket of all the things that are wrong with you too. It's just instantaneous in the human heart that we know how to pay people back. But do you know the problem with payback? Is that the debt is never paid. I thought about that with the story of Samson and the Philistines. Have you heard it before? Uh, in the Old Testament, there's this uh, bulky, supernaturally strong womanizer from Israel named Samson. And he gets into this crazy cycle of violence with the neighboring Philistines. First, Samson gets married to this Philistine woman. And he has a riddle at his wedding and the Philistines can't solve it. They're really mad that they're about to lose the bet. So they threaten Samson's new bride, unless you tell us the answer to the riddle, we will kill you. So she gives up the secret. Samson gets mad. He's going to pay him back. So he ends up murdering 30 Philistines to pay off the debt. Well, the Philistines get so mad, they pick up the stone. They end up murdering Samson's wife and her father. 
Samson gets so mad about that, he finds the jawbone of a donkey and he spatters the blood of thousands of Philistines to pay back the price. So they turn to Samson's new lady friend, Delilah. They ask for the supernatural secret of his strength. It's in his hair. They cut it off. And the Philistines, when they capture him, they gouge out Samson's eyes. But Samson, even blind, he finds that stone on the ground and he pushes down the pillars of their temple, takes his vengeance. The Philistines die. Samson dies. End of the story. And we teach this in Sunday school, by the way. And you know what never happens in all those chapters of Judges? No one, not Samson, not the Philistines, no one at any point says, now we're even. No one says, you're right, I had that coming. Are we good? Because when you pick up stones and throw them back and you hit and hurt someone, guess what they will instinctively do? Pick it up again. You hit our batter in the top of the fourth, we'll hit yours in the bottom, and we don't shake hands afterwards. What do baseball teams do? They brawl. And that's a microcosm of what we do. So if you want to pay someone back, if you want to make them hurt like they hurt you, you will not end the hurt. You will exponentially increase it. And I think this is why Peter and Paul and Jesus say about payback, don't. Let me prove it to you. Three passages. Peter said, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That would seem fair and just. Don't. Paul agrees. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. And Jesus said, you, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what people say, right? No. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus knew the crazy cycle of violence between former spouses, between a brother and a sister in a family, between kids at a school, teams in a league, and he hated it. So he says, don't, 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 don't. But pastor, they started it. Listen, it doesn't work with teachers, with their students. Doesn't work with parents and their kids. And it doesn't work with God and Christians. I know it hurts. I know you can't forget it. But no payback. Which is why some of you might be tempted to take the third path. If we're taking notes, path number three is not to get back, it's to get bitter. Bitterness is when you get hit by the stone and you pick it up and you know that throwing it would cause all sorts of problems so you don't. Instead, you just hold it. You think about it. And you tell a story of this stone to anyone close enough to listen. It's not that you know, you're going to get them back, but kind of deep in your heart, you hope that someone does. Your ex hurts you bad, and now you see on Facebook that they're in a new relationship. What does your heart kind of hope happens? 
A happily ever after? No. You want so bad for there to be consequences, for the, the bad people to, it just wouldn't be right if God would bless and be good to people who've done so much that's bad. And, and that's bitterness. And know, you know you're bitter when your hands are so full of the past that they're not open to pray or to shake hands and reconcile or to raise hands in blessing. When you can't love or, or honestly want God to do good for the person that hurt you, you know, you know the bitterness has a hold of your heart. And I want to warn you about that today because every day that you hold on to this means it's going to be even harder to let go. About 25 years ago, uh, my dad over here and his commercial real estate company built a condo complex and he gave me my first job on the yard crew. So for 40 hours a week, I cut grass. And one of the jobs that I often had to do was all the weed whacking around all the houses. Now, have you ever done weed whacking around your house? It takes what? About 10 minutes. For me, it would take 10 hours. So I would grab the weed whacker, I'd put it in the back of a little golf cart, get a thing of fuel, I'd fuel it up, I'd wrap enough string around there, and for 10 hours, here's what I'd do. I take a lunch break and then I go. And at the end of a long day of weed whacking, do you know what would happen to this hand? The one that was holding the handle of the weed whacker? It gets stuck. Because the longer you hold on to something, the harder it is to let it go. And the same is true with sin. Every day that you don't choose to forgive, it becomes harder to let it go. What that girl said to you back in high school, what your former boyfriend did, what that boss, what your mom, what your dad, what, you know, whoever did, the, the longer you hold, the more you tell that story, the harder it is to set your heart free. Maybe that's why the book of Hebrews says this, Hebrews 12. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Like sin isn't just like a stone. This passage says it's kind of like a seed and that seed is going to grow roots and be bitter. You got to rip it out. You got to let it go. You got to ask God to help you because if you hold on to it, it will cause trouble and it won't just defile you that bitter root will produce toxic fruit and it'll mess with so many of your relationships. Because guess what? If you're holding on to that hurt, it's not just that you can't shake the hand of the person that hurt you. You can't shake anyone else's. And so God says, let me teach you a better way. No, not forgetting. No, not paying them back. Not getting bitter. Here's the fourth path. That's the one God wants you to take today. That path is to forgive. To forgive. 
Now, people have all kinds of personal definitions of forgiveness. I want to tell you mine. When I see the word forgive in the Bible, here's my definition. It's the daily choice to let the stone alone. And I carefully chose every word in that sentence. I call it a daily choice. Here's the mistake that many people make. They say, Pastor, I don't know if I have forgiven him. And I say, whoa, 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 what do you mean? You think forgiveness is just something you do one day? I forgive them, Jesus. Whew, that's over. No. You shouldn't ask yourself, have I forgiven them? You should ask yourself, am I forgiving them? They threw the stone, boom, it fell at my feet. And today, and Tuesday, and next August, I'm going to have to make a choice. What do I do with that? Do I make them hurt? I can't forget it. It's right there. It happened. No, I'm making a daily choice to let the stone alone. Now, two Sundays from now, we're going to talk about consequences of sin. That leaving the stone alone doesn't mean you can't call the cops or get a divorce or stay safe or have boundaries or need time to rebuild trust. It's a different message. Wait for that. But what I am saying is that real biblical forgiveness is the choice to say, it's not my job to get them back. And the cops might have to do their thing and God is absolutely going to do his thing, but this is not my role. In fact, if I touch that, it will kill me. It will hurt me. It will rip my family apart. So I'm making the choice. God, help me make the choice to let the stone alone. This is what Peter and Paul and Jesus teach us. Let me prove it to you. Peter said, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Paul agreed. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. And Jesus taught, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Real healing happens in your heart when your hands are so free that you can actually pray, God, change them. Bless them. Do good to them. Let them take this sin seriously, but God, let their story be one of grace and mercy, just like mine. No, God, I don't want them to rot in hell. I want you to change their heart like you changed mine. When you let the stone alone, your hands are free to do all kinds of things. You can reconcile. You can reach out. You can pray without a bitter heart for yourself, for them. You can offer a blessing. You can extend forgiveness. So I want to ask you personally tonight, are you willing today and for the days to come to forgive? Will you stop letting the hurt of what happened be your heart's reason to to get them back in here if nothing else? Will you start to pray for them? To ask God to change them? Will you take that little list of wrongs in your heart and keep no record of it like God does with you? You don't have to trust them yet. You don't have to forget that it happened. 
but will you forgive? When you leave church today, before you get to the, the main doors, you're going to see a green bucket full of dirty rocks. Construction friend of mine dropped off that bucket. And I didn't wash them off because forgiveness is kind of a dirty job. So when you leave, I want you to grab one. I want you to get your hands dirty with it. And I want you to put it in a place this week where you'll see it. Next to your bed, kitchen table, on a shelf in your office. And I want that stone to visually represent what's happening right here in your heart, that there has been someone who has hurt you in a small way, maybe in a traumatic way, but today and tomorrow and for the next seven days, you are going to make the daily choice to let the stone alone. And when you see it, you're going to open your hands and you're going to fold them and you're going to pray. Would you? Because our Father in Heaven can't wait to help you if you do. But before you run out the doors to take up that challenge, I have to tell you the rest of what Pastor Jim told me to tell you. Remember his email? Mike, remember what people will think about it. But I didn't tell you that that was about this much of an email that was about this much. You know what this part was about? Jesus. Pastor Jim reminded me, he said, Mike, forgiveness. Forgiveness for this is hard. No one makes that choice every day. Which means even if people that you're speaking to want to, they're going to need so much Jesus. And Jim told me to tell you the gospel of Jesus, followed by the gospel of Jesus, followed by three more scoops of the gospel of Jesus with a bunch of little colorful sprinkles of the gospel of Jesus. So are you ready for the gospel of Jesus? I hope so, because you're getting it. <laughs> From Peter and Paul and Jesus, look at these incredible passages. Peter said, when Jesus suffered, he made no threats. It's amazing. They're, they're mocking him. Come down from the cross. He didn't say, you wait till I get down from this cross. No threats. Instead, Jesus entrusted himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus bore your sins. Even your struggles to forgive, even the bitterness, even the payback, all of them, not sin, but sins, plural, way more than 128. Your stones are piled at the foot of the cross. And Jesus' hands in forgiveness and love were nailed down wide open for you. <laughs> Paul's words are even better. Romans 4, he quotes King David from the Psalms. He said, blessed or happy, spiritually happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. <laughs> and I say amen to that. How blessed, how good is it at the end of every day when you know that even transgressions, that's when you know that there's a line and you still step over it. Even that's forgiven. That every sin, the stuff you're embarrassed to talk about is covered. It's like God doesn't even see it. He remembers it no more. And my favorite part, blessed is the one who sinned the Lord will never count against them. Never. 
You know what Jesus did yesterday? He made the choice to let your stone alone. And if he would have rolled out of bed today, do you know what he would have done first thing in the morning? Made the choice to let your stone alone. If Jesus will give you a picture of his uh, calendar and his iPhone, do you know what it would say as a repeating event? Never. Never, ever, 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 ever. So when the devil tells you that you're not forgivable or that God's mad or he's disappointed or he's holding on to it, you tell him to go back to hell and you tell him the truth. Never. Blessed is the one who sinned. The Lord will never count against them. Because Jesus said in Matthew 26, the night before he died, this is my blood of the covenant and it's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We struggle to make the daily choice to let it alone. Jesus doesn't. Once and for all, he declared it. It's finished. And that's why, no matter how good or bad you do this week, you are forgiven. And I pray that the beauty of that allows you to do what Brant did. Some of you heard the tragic story back in 2018 of Botham Jean. He was a 26-year-old accountant. After work, he had gone back to his apartment. He was sitting on the couch watching football, eating ice cream, when he got murdered by a cop. Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer, was going to her apartment and she walked into Botham's thinking it was where she lived. And when she saw this man on her couch, she reached for her gun, thinking that he had broken into her house to harm her. The truth was just the opposite. She had broken into his place. In an instantaneous decision, she pulled the gun, shot him, and he died. And in the process, she threw a stone like this at Botham's brother, his family members, and his friends. Which is why her sentencing was so shocking. If you haven't seen the YouTube video, you, you need to pull it up before you leave church today. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison for her crime. But at her sentencing, Botham's brother Brandt sat in the witness stand and he said this. He said, I hope you go to God. Because I forgive you. And I know if you ask God, he will forgive you. I love you. Just like anyone else. I personally want the best for you. I wish you didn't have to go to jail, he said. I love you as a person. And what Brand said next caught the world's attention. He turned to the judge at his side and he asked, can I give her a hug? Please? Please? And when the judge allowed it, he jumped up from his seat. He meets Amber in the middle of the courtroom and, and she collapses in his arms. And for 60 seconds, I counted. 60 seconds. He spoke forgiveness into her ear. And when you watch the video after church today, I want you to notice something. 
As this man embraces the woman who murdered his brother, his hands were open. Because he forgave. Just like he had first been forgiven. And I hope that you and I can too. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Father, I thank you for the gospel that offends our sensibilities. You are not the God of second chances. You're the God who forgives sinners who've thrown a billion stones. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. Right now, Father, you say that your face is shining upon us and you're looking with grace upon us. It doesn't seem right. It's not fair, but we love the fact that you forgive. I pray for everyone here today, God, who has a tender conscience, who the devil loves to accuse and bring up the past so that we can't move on and let it go. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fix their eyes on the cross and that you would open the ears of their heart to hear what Jesus said. It is finished and we are forgiven. And now, God, I ask for your help. Um, You say that people who have roots will produce more fruit. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's peace and it's gentleness and it's kindness. And we want to extend that not just to our closest friends, Father, but to our longest-term enemies. We need your Holy Spirit for that supernatural choice. So send your Spirit. We ask you in faith because we know how you feel about us. You love us. And so we ask boldly today, God, for the sake of every marriage here that's struggling, for the sake of of wounds that have yet to be healed, for the drama at work in our sports leagues, God, wherever it's happening, we want to fix it. We want to be peacemakers who sow in peace and bring back a harvest of righteousness. So let your forgiving work not just be given to us, but let it work through us. Help us to let the stone alone because you did first. I pray all this, Jesus, in your beautiful, powerful, glorious, magnificent, and forgiving name. Amen.